Hey folks, how's it going? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer here. Hey, are y'all ready for an interesting evening? This is going to be a, a really interesting broadcast. Number one, I was glad to bring you Selection Code. That's the trailer. Uh, it's appearing in July. Uh, I'll be telling you more next week. Uh, been dialoguing with Mike. Talk to uh, uh, Laura, who you, you, I mean, you know, come on, Laura Logan. I mean, rock star in news. Um, and I know she's diligently hammering behind the computer. There's potentially a series of these. This is the first one. And it'll be debuted at a big event that you're going to hear about coming in July that you'll have an uh, opportunity to attend. We'll all be there and really see what's going on. It's just a, 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 a planning event. It just kind of takes a while to get all these things together. So tonight we're going to uh, dive in to uh the world of well I, and i have to couch this because when you're having a conversation with somebody like this you know you you know the old saying where somebody says well if i have to tell you that i'll have to kill you well uh this person could really do it and really has to admonish you to say that is if i have to tell you i have to kill you and and i love her and i don't want her to kill me she's perfectly capable of it and so there's certain things that we can't talk about <laughs> And of course, I'll give her a hard time about it. We're going to literally get a peek inside with Claire Lopez. What an amazing background this woman has. What a what a patriot, what a warrior, what a rock star. And you are literally uh, going to get a chance uh, to meet her. Let me, uh, I'm going to find her bio real quick. Let me read this bio for you. Ready? Uh, since 2004, Claire has been served as the Vice President of Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy, a Senior Fellow at the London Center for Policy, Re Policy Research, uh, Board of Advisors for the Canadian McKinsey Institute. In 2016, she was named to Senator Ted Cruz's Presidential Campaign and National Security Advisory Team. Uh, she is the world's most foremost, I, I say it, I mean, when you want to know about the Middle East, you want to know about Hezbollah, you want to know about Iran, things like uh, the red-green axis, this is the person, this is the brain trust that all of those threat assessments and everything comes from. She knows, um, she works on things like the Islamic, global Islamic movement, right, and understanding jihadi networks. Uh, in 2013, she was a member of the Citizens Commission on Benghazi. I mean, I could keep on going on and on and on. But frankly, uh, I'd have 59 minutes of reading a resume and one minute to do the interview. So I can't actually uh, do that. So get ready, folks. You know how we fight this war. This war is a one-finger war. That means you need to pull out that one finger right now. You don't want to give them the finger. But I know you need to use this finger and you got to start sharing right now. We've got to get people involved in the broadcast. I know that President Trump's on. Who was that I saw that? was? Uh, who was that that said, oh, man, Jovan's coming on. Is it bad that I'm going to watch Jovan and, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, watch Jovan instead of President Trump? Well, that happens every now and then. We can't control each other's schedules. And so do me a favor. Share this right now. It'll be a very interesting conversation I'm going to bring it to you commercial free, just like I did with General Flynn the other day, because this is a person you should know about and you should understand, well, what she works on and where we fit in. Well, I don't want to say this new world order because I refuse that, but where we fit in this stuff. And that's what we're fighting, where we fit and what's going on right now. So hang tight, folks. Here we go. Cut the crap. How many times a day do you want to say that to politicians, the elite, the loony liberals, the fake news media, and the gender-confused, emotional, socialist, snowflake crowd? Cut the crap is your secret weapon for fighting for our freedoms and our great republic. It all begins with a massive mental enema, freeing you from the toxic news and politically correct views, which constipate your consciousness with stinking thinking. Your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. He's known for calling out politicians and telling them to cut the crap. You've seen him on virtually every television network and listened to 
him on Coast to Coast Radio. And now he's here to help you learn to fight for America. Culture, race, and American politics, they all have one thing in common. They all need to cut the crap. Now, here's your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Okay, guys, here you go. Welcome back. Go on, Hutton Bullers or cut the crap. Hey, crap is easy. Culture, race, and American politics. And when you mix all those things together, we have this slow, secular suicide that is killing our beloved nation. Now, I have with me a national treasurer, Claire Lopez. This is somebody that knows what's going on out there, knows what America has to do and what we have to do to get this solved into, you know, when I say solved, being looking at, at the world arena. Claire, I couldn't even do justice to your bio. And on top of that, you're one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And I just love sitting and talking with you. It's a, it's a great pleasure. So welcome to the program. Well, Jovan, it, it is wonderful to be with you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Uh, thanks to all of your audience tonight for tuning in. And uh, it's just an honor to be able to be on your show. Uh, we were lucky to meet up a couple of weeks ago. It's almost a month ago now, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's been a while. At uh, the Rock the Red USA conference in Greenville, South Carolina. Have you been on the road since then? Have you been running around or you got a time to kind of get some rest and get home? No, I've, I've uh, mostly been uh, local, stuck at home. I live in the D.C. metro area. Um, hope to get some travel in at some point, but you know, ever since this, uh, China virus hit us, um, been doing a lot by web and still am. Absolutely. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit. You career, would, would it be appropriate to say career CIA? Would that be yes, an appropriate term? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's kind of talk about just to start, give the people kind of an overview, how long you were the CIA, what you did, et cetera. Let's start. Sure. There. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll begin with grad school. I went to the Maxwell School at Syracuse University, and my master's was international relations with a Russia focus. And uh, along with other classmates there in that program, uh, we were interviewed uh, by the agency, which came to campus. I mean, just like any other company, you know, Kodak and International Harvester, and everybody comes to interview the uh, the graduating students. And um, for whatever reason, um, they liked me. And um, so it took a total of 14 months to get through the process of interviews and exams and background check and all of that. Uh, and then in, uh, uh, let's see, I finished my master's um, before I actually had an offer letter in my hand. And so not wanting to just go sit around someplace, I went to Quantico, Virginia, um, to the Officer Candidate School of the U.S. Marine Corps. And um, that was kind of plan B, backup, if, if nothing else came through. I, I don't mean to put it that way, that the Marine Corps was plan B, but um, that, was, that was kind of my thought, uh, where I you know, really wanted to go to the agency. Right. So while I was there, my offer letter came uh, from the agency. So I completed the course. I didn't want to quit before it was over. Night before graduation, I went into the captain. I said, not, not going to graduate tomorrow because the graduation uh, ceremony, of course, includes the oath of office, would have been right. committed for, I think it was three years, and I wasn't going to do that now. And uh, off I went uh, then to uh, 20 years. Um, what I can tell you is I was in Russia division um, all of that time of the directorate of operations that, again, had been my, my focus on my master's. And um, so Russia division for 20 years, but I got to serve all over the world. And, and that was the best part because I'd always wanted to travel and see the world. Where are some of the places you went? Tell us. Well, the first place they that ever you can, That me. you can tell us about. Yeah, don't, yeah, sure. Don't, don't so, shoot so, me through the set, but tell me where first, you went. First place, <laughs> 28 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes. Where they send me? Mogadishu, Somalia. Oh, very now, nice. This was before the place really fell apart. Right. Siad Bari was still in control at that point in time. And um, so you didn't have the chaos, the utter, you know, chaos and, and bombings going off all the time while I was there. Um, I spent other time uh, in uh, other places in Africa, uh, got to uh, Central America, Salvador, El Salvador during uh, the Civil War. 
uh, had an RPG take off a chunk of our roof, got mortared for three hours one night. That was fun. Oh, wow. Very nice. Um, and uh, Venezuela, where um, we were posted at the time when Hugo Chavez, the former president, now deceased. Um, uh, so you really got to see how great elections, secure elections are run, right? Uh, yeah, that place, that place <laughs> staged his two aborted coup d'etats. So that was fun. Um, let's see, where else? Eastern Europe saw the collapse of government there. The, how you bring down a government? We right. were there. We watched that. So a bunch of places um, and uh, picked up a bunch of languages along the way, which which I just really love, languages. And um, 20 years went by in a flash. Uh, then I went into private uh, contracting with federal um, government contractor companies. Battelle, for example, was one of those. So was that just a, a, a retire out option or a cycle out 20 option? Years 20 years is considered a, a full you know, career. And by that time, I kind of realized that people in contracting were making a whole bunch more money uh, than anybody serving in government. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, at the time, we had a, uh, a daughter. Uh, at, at that time, um, I guess she was about in high school, thinking about college. So right. all of these things came together. So I worked for a number of contracting companies, um, began to do some teaching and training, but gravitated eventually to the think tank world of Washington, D.C. Uh, first off, Iran Policy Committee, where uh, I really dived into Iran, began my study of Farsi, um, you know, began to work with the Iranian uh, Democratic Opposition, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, uh, with which I am still associated and, and, and still work, still take Farsi, was at my Farsi teacher's house this morning. Oh, very nice. Very we were talking about that when we were together in Carolinas. That's, That's right. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's wonderful Iranian American um, woman who uh, is is extremely patient with me, and um, then eventually to the Center for Security Policy first as a fellow, later as the vice president for research and analysis. Now independent at Lopez Liberty LLC, um, and that's kind of where I am now. And uh, folks, let me let me give you this. Here's a few websites you can write down. I'll show them during different times of the broadcast. Here's where you can find uh, Claire on uh, Twitter. It's also the same handle at Facebook, by the way. So Twitter and Facebook, same handle. Uh, Telegram, Lope, uh, Lopez Liberty, and then on Truth Social. Now you said there's a because it's Claire Toe. Am I saying that right, Claire Toe? Yeah, it's it's uh, sort of the diminutive of my name. It's my Slavic nickname from Bulgaria. And uh, it's just a way of making a name diminutive. Um, you know, uh, like uh, in, in Spanish, it would be Miguelito, Miguel, Miguelito. That would be the diminutive. Or, you know, in French, Jean, Jeanette for the for the female, you know, like right. that. So that that's that's kind of what it is. Very nice. I like that. Before we get started, let's go a little bit back in time. We're and and I just don't remember this, forgive me, but was your family already maybe active military, involved in the military, educator? What? Tell us about the background you come from. No, none of that. Um, my uh, my own family um, has two had two um, World War II veterans. My own father and uh, my uncle. Uh, our uncle used to tell us uh, all kinds of stories. A fantastic memory um, about his time serving in the U.S. Army across Europe. In World War II, he was in a tank destroyer unit, fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, so there, there was that, you know, influence uh, in 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 my family. But I'll tell you what got me going, uh, and it was fourth grade geography class. Uh, awesome. I can remember the pictures in that book to this day, and I'd be looking at the book and turning the pages. I want to go there. I want to go there. I want to go there. Um, and then I uh, I started a stamp collection and uh, got stamps from all over the world and i'm looking at the flags and the costumes and you know all of these things and um just you know further in interested me in 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 the world and and uh places abroad and honestly that's that's where it came from i wanted to see the world so that is fantastic um, where was home where was home when you were growing i up? grew up in cleveland ohio where i still have family and uh 
high school and college girlfriends. Uh, 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 that's right. You're a, you're a Notre Dame girl. Notre Dame College of Ohio was my alma mater um, for undergrad. Uh, it's on the sort of east side of Cleveland. Right. Very nice. And so that was home in Ohio. Fly one of those flyover states. Okay. Let's let's get right to it. Here's the bottom line. Um, I have always said that I think part of what's going on in the dynamics internationally and why we're seeing so much promotion with little boys being little girls and little girls being little boys and all this freaked out wacky stuff we see and our transgender army and all this other stuff. A lot of it, I believe, is infiltration by design to take down our reputation on the world stage. So everybody does think America's gone to hell in a handbasket. So everybody does believe the Middle East lie, Iran, we're the great Satan. Am I right? Do you believe this is an intentional way to destroy us on the global stage? Oh, absolutely. And and if you'll give me just a moment, I'm going to lean over and pull a book. Not a problem. Um, there it is. Off of my bookshelf. Uh, it's called... The naked make it stand up straight. There you the go. The naked communist. Okay. I love that. Uh, it was written by a former FBI agent named W. Klienskausen, published in 1958, and uh, you can see it's you know it's a it's a pretty hefty book here. Right. But if you wanted to just get uh, the most important part of it, I think it's chapter 13. It's called the 45 Goals of Communism Today. Remember, written in 1958. Skousen, I think, took uh, the contents for this from uh, either attending himself, and I don't know if he did in person, or listening to other people who did, um, some of the hearings before Congress, House on Un-American Activities, right. and then on the Senate side with Senator Joseph McCarthy, when they were actually serious about going after the communist Marxist infiltration of this country. And the name of this chapter 13 is the 45 goals of communism today. And is that the original communist manifesto or a derivative? No, 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 no. That would be that from my bookcase. There you go. Okay. And, and that's <laughs> just that. a, little, a little slim one. Um, but what this is, is either Skousen's personal, and I, I don't know if it was personally him or, you know, people that he talked to. But to your point about is this deliberate, uh, you know, infiltration, let me just read a, just a few of these things. Please do, all you want. Haven't heard these before. Um, it, it, it's, it's really going to put things in perspective, I think. All right, let's go back to, I, I won't read them all, I really won't. Let's start with number 15 for starters, okay, out of 45. Congress uh, capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. Suppose there might be a check mark next to that one? Absolutely. Um, we can go to number 17. And honestly, I think this is probably the most important of all the 45. Number 17, get control of the schools. Use them to uh, as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of the teachers' associations. Hang on, there's more. And this is 1958, you're saying? That is when this book was published. Now, I believe chapter uh, 13 that I'm quoting from, I think that was a bit of a later edition, if I remember okay. right. It might have gone into the book maybe two or three years later, but, you know, round about that time. All right, number 22, continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. Um. Number 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech. Number 25, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, as they called it then, movies, radio, and TV. Um, infiltrate the churches is number 27 and replace revealed religion with social religion. Just a couple more to get this just driven home. 29, discredit the American constitution 
by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, and out of step with modern needs. 30, discredit the American founding fathers. Present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. I suppose today, added to that point, would be make them out to be a bunch of slave-owning racists. Right. Uh, uh, 31, belittle all forms of American culture and discourage the teaching of American history on the ground that it was only a minor part of the big picture. One or two more, and I'll, uh, I'll end it here. Um, I want to get one more that comes towards the end. Uh, hang on. There's, it's, this last one is pretty important. Here it is. This is the one I want to tell you. Uh, it's number 40. Discredit the family as an institution. Encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Okay. Every one of these points and that I just read you and, and all the others that I did not, these were taken by Skousen, as I said, either in person or from people he talked to, from testimony under oath by witnesses in front of these congressional committees in the earlier 1950s, 51, 52, 53. And those witnesses under oath were communists and or former communists. Bella Dodd, for example, was one of them, a name that might be familiar. There are many more right. that the names you might rem remember or recognize. This was all laid out. Yes, this was a plan. Yes, this was organized. Yes, this was uh, deliberately, methodically um, introduced into every sector of American society. Uh, I named a few there, academia, faith communities, uh, government at every level. Um, and we can talk about media, all kinds of media. In those days, it was it was Hollywood, it was movies, radio, TV, and nowadays we would have social media. Every last one of those has been a target of communism and Marxism. I would say in the beginning, uh, that was the Soviet Union, then Russia right. had the lead on that. But I would tell you today, the lead on the international communist movement is China. It's Beijing and the Communist Chinese Party. You know, it's interesting. I was one of the things I was going to ask you is who do you think our biggest threat is? But I'm going to rephrase this question. Other than China, do we have any bigger threats to our republic than our republic and the maladministration we have doing what they're doing to us? Uh, I mean, you, you've named it. I mean, it's spot on. Yes, China. Um, has taken the lead in the international communist Marxist movement and has infiltrated all of our major um, societal uh, pillars of society, I might call it, or sectors of society. Um, but what has happened, and, and, and the reason that we're looking at this administration, but not only this administration, we're looking at, 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 at government officials and figures within the government um, that go back a long ways. It's not just this one. It's just that this is the worst, and this is the one we're mired in at the moment. But what China has done, and I'll, I'll cite another book. Uh, you're going to have a reading list by the time we're done tonight, okay? That's awesome. I love and, it. Um, do it, do it. I, I finished not very long ago reading Peter Schweitzer's latest book called Red Handed. Right. And in that book, Peter Schweitzer, who's an awesome um, researcher, um, he must have a staff of hundreds. I don't know how he does it. But what he did in that book is chapter by chapter, he laid out how Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party um, uh, effected something they call elite capture. Okay, Elite capture for the Chinese. And that's a translation from the Mandarin. Um, it, it basically means that they have targeted the leadership figures uh, yes, grassroots on up, but but they decided that the most um, effective way of collapsing our republic was elite capture from the top. So wh whom did they go for? Um, they went for the leadership figures of, of government. They went for the Biden family. They went for the senior uh, captains of industry, if you will, Wall Street. Uh, they went for the top editors and uh, journalists of any number of our um, our media. Uh, National Pulse, Raheem Kassam has done a fantastic job of, of uh, investigating this um, in particular. 
uh, the penetration of our media, meaning um, the print media, well, legacy print media, Washington Post, um, uh, New York Times, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, the cable TV channels, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, MSNBC et cetera, et cetera, um, and then also social media. And what they would do, the Chinese, they invited the top people, not, not all the worker bees, the top people over to China and you know, all expense paid junkets, and they got to eat fabulous Chinese food and go see the Great Wall of China and 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 watch wonderful opera and and dance and, and performances. And they came away dazed and came home. And what did they do? They wrote wonderful things about China. China went after the top captains of sport. Think about the N, uh, the NBA. Right. Um, you know, that is not going to give up at, at the current time, one point, I don't know, four billion or so. By the way, that population's going off a cliff. It's just not going off fast enough. But but 1.4, they're not going to give up that audience, right? So, you know, they uh, they have an audience. Their their games are aired um, on programming inside of China, on, on China media. And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, those jerseys that they wear, and uh, the shoes that they wear, Nike shoes, for example, made where? In Xinjiang, by slave labor, Uyghurs. Um, but, you know, mock Knicks because this is uh, making money for them and they're not gonna give it up. So that's elite capture. They go so after the top levels of our pillars of society and capture them uh, through bribery through flattery through whatever it may be their their vulnerability whatever that is and then they've got them and yeah. and that's what's happening that's what's going on with, with with the collapse the the internal collapse of our uh of our republic and well the principles the standards upon which it was it was established it's it's horrible i i, I mean there are even in maricopa just doing this audit you know some of the people that went over to china recently from Maricopa was the board of supervisors that don't want to turn all of this stuff over. Mm -hmm. And of course they're turning it this way. Let me ask you a question. Is this for these people that turn, they, they have to know they're destroying our country. Let me ask you a question. Is it greed? Is it ignorance or is it evilness or is it a combination of all, but which one predominates because well, they're killing yeah. our country. What is it? It's yes to all three. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are various levels, I think, of uh, complicity and understanding of what they're actually doing. Um, so some of them, you know, may be captured by simple vanity right. um, or, you know, appeal to, uh, I don't know, innate arrogance or something. Take take our public health sector, for example, or don't take it. But in any case... Um, you, you think about the senior leadership of our public health sector. Talk about a Francis Collins, uh, the former director of the NIH, National Institutes of Health, who just retired this past December. I think we've all, uh, maybe, maybe maybe many of us have seen um, that lovely little serenade he played for us all on a guitar to wish us farewell. Touching, re really touching. Um, Francis Collins, I'll mention another book to you. I got books all over my desk. Um, this one is called What Really, really happened, happened in Wuhan. In Wuhan. It's written by Sherry Markson. Sherry Markson is a superb investigative journalist working in Australia for Sky News, also writes at The Australian. And she wrote this book, uh, published, I think it was last year, 2021. And in it, she talks about Francis Collins. That's where I'm going with this. And she writes that in the year 2015, <clears throat> Francis Collins, then still head of NIH, uh, entered into an agreement, a deal, a collaboration with the Chinese uh, military uh, medical, let me get the name exactly right, the okay, um, the Chinese Academy of Military Science. Okay, right. that organization, together with the PLA, People's Liberation Army, run China's offensive biological weapons program. Something he either knew or should have known at the time. 
But what did they do? They got the head of NIH. That's what I'm talking about with elite capture. That's what Peter Schweitzer talks about. Right. Um, so how do they get them? You know, on on what human, I don't know, foibles. And, and it's it, it's different. You know, for some, it is, it is appealing to vanity. For others, it's outright bribery. Uh, you know, we'll give you this... Uh, contract so you can build your tenant make your produce your tennis shoes um but you gotta you gotta stay mom about xinjiang and what's going on with the uyghurs so sometimes it's money sometimes it's vanity um sometimes it, it may well be ignorance but you know you get to a point it's, it's hard to understand that anyone at this date and time could be ignorant anymore i agree with that that's <laughs> why I, I threw evil in there because there are we have people in our government, we have people that are truly just hate America, think we're racist, think we're yeah. horrible, think think that uh, we're capitalist pigs and just want to destroy us. I consider that pure evil. Yeah, me too. So right now, if we just kind of step back and you put your CIA hat on, knowing all these different countries, what are they saying to themselves? Do, are they saying, Biden is pulling a con on these people and this is really screwed up or are they saying, Oh my God, America's going to hell in a handbasket. What do you think is going on out there? I think um, that friends and adversaries around the world alike um, see real weakness um, pile of pudding actually at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, with the Biden administration. Um, and they see a closing window, if you will, of opportunity. I think we are going to see, and we got to put some positivity into this discussion tonight, Joanne, just a little that's, bit. That's fine. Totally fine. And, yeah, we're and, get there. And, and that, 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 that positive note is that I think everyone here, here at home, but also, you know, others abroad, um, see that window of opportunity, if you will, for them, opportunity closing um, with the upcoming midterm elections this November 2022 for Congress. Right. And so I think I, I think, um, you know, rogue actors like Vladimir Putin in Russia and like Xi Jinping in China, they see this time now before November as their chance. They, they, they just got to go all out. They got to go right. pell-mell uh, to get what they want. And, and that's why I think you saw uh, Putin, for example, you know, grabbing Georgia. Uh, that is the country of Georgia and the Caucasus. Um, during the Obama years. Uh, then we had four years of President Trump when nobody tried to grab anything. And even, you know, Kim Jong-un over in North Korea stopped lobbing missiles out over the Sea of Japan. He stood down. He knew that and Trump was knew. real. He knew. And then we come to the Biden administration and uh, the the opportunity is there again, and and that's why I think you saw um, Putin. Um, you know what? I made a mistake. Georgia was grabbed in 2008 under G.W. Bush. Correction there. I'm just remembering. 2014 during the Obama administration is when Putin went after Crimea. Now I've got a bit of a different background if if you know the history of Crimea, but that's another story. Um, and then the, the four years of, of Trump, and now we're in Biden's administration, and uh, Putin goes, you know, all out for for Ukraine, or or at, at a minimum for the eastern uh, strip of, right. of the Donbas and 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 the south. The south is especially dangerous because what they're doing there is cutting Ukraine off from the sea. If you can picture the geography, there are three seas that are connected: the Mediterranean's out here. You go through the Bosporus at Istanbul and you come into the Black Sea. Then you go from the Black Sea through uh, the, the Kerch Strait and you are now in the Sea of Azov, kind of a small sea inland. And uh, uh, Ukraine borders on both the Sea of Azov and the other side of the Kerch Strait on the Black Sea. And Crimea juts out into the middle of the Black Sea. Well, Russia is trying to cut them off from that sea axis. And aside from making Ukraine landbound, what else that's doing is cutting off the major route for the export of food, uh, in particular grains. I don't know if folks know this, but a full 12% of all calories 
consumed on Earth come from Russia and Ukraine. Wow. Primarily through grain crops like wheat, like barley, like corn, uh, but also seed oils, uh, which are necessary for not just cooking, but a whole bunch of other things, things like sunflower seed oil and, and, and other things. They're cutting that off. We're looking literally at famine. I mean, starving people in places that most depend on imports of especially wheat. And I'm thinking here, especially of North Africa, like Algeria and Libya, certainly Egypt, come down the horn of Africa. You got, you got Sudan and, and Ethiopia, Somalia, uh, Eritrea. Uh, these places don't have good agriculture. Right. They don't have good cropland. And so they import a humongous uh, amount of their caloric needs for their population from places like Ukraine and Russia. Yes, other places produce wheat too, like Argentina, like the United States, like India, which, oh, by the way, uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi just announced, I don't know, a month or maybe about that ago, um, that India is stopping all exports of wheat. No more exports of wheat from India, even though they produce a lot of it because they're afraid of the coming famine and they're keeping it at home for their family, for their own people. Um, so uh, that's, the, you know, that that is what's going on uh, with worldwide implications. Um, you say Ukraine is so far away. What do we care? What's that got to do with us? Well, I'll give you one more reason why it's got to do with us. And that has to do with the crops again. I don't know if folks know this, <clears throat> but American farmers import 50 percent five zero percent of all our fertilizer from ukraine and russia and a sizable percentage of uh either the pesticides or the ingredients for the pesticides like uh, phosphates and things like that and those are all cut off now they're they're cut off or they can barely get any out which means prices are through the roof for american farmers Never mind that Ukrainian farmers can't plant, harvest, transport, or export their crops. But American farmers also, uh, in addition to natural things like drought, for example, that happen all the time. Do you um, think all that? Do you think, and I'm going to do a combined question here. I want to ask about two people, and then I want to ask kind of a theory. Are these opportunistic events only, or is this a planned event to squeeze the hell out of us? And therefore, does it tie to Soros? And I want to know, you can answer them. If you might not be able to answer on Putin, I understand that because of your background. But what I'd like to know, is Soros, is somebody pulling Soros' strings, one? And two, is Putin just pure evil? Is he just opportunistic? Is he standing up to something we don't know about? Can you answer on those? Yeah, sure, sure. Let's start with Soros, um, because in this particular instance, Soros is with Ukraine. He, he, he's, he's not cheering for Putin. And Putin, by the way, got booted out of the World Economic Forum some months ago. Uh, he's no longer welcome at Davos. Um, so we, we kind of have to separate sometimes the issue at hand, here being an invasion of Ukraine, from those individual people, some of whom may be very malign actors like Soros, separate the issue from the people that support or oppose it. Right. Because I would, I, I was one of these guilty saying, if Soros thinks it's bad, then I'm missing something. So I, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Separate those things because in this case, we're talking about, you know, the, the, the unprovoked aggressive invasion of an entire country, um, you, you know, the pulverizing of its city, slaughtering of its people, uh, and all of the other add-on effects that I was just talking about with food security, insecurity. But Zelensky can't be a good guy. Huh? Zelensky can't be a good guy, is he? He's a very good guy. Um, I've never seen an actor uh, rise to the occasion, probably since Ronald Reagan. Um, wow, I wouldn't have guessed that answer. World. <clears throat> now, is Ukraine, you know, a, a perfect example of a Jeffersonian democracy? Not by a long shot, nowhere near. But let me segue this into Putin and Russia, because 
where Ukraine is and has been and where it wants to go play into this. So in the past, uh, the Ukrainian people, by the way, are older as a civilization than the Russian people themselves. Uh, the Russian civilization was founded in Kiev. It was Kievan Rus. That, 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 that's where Russia began, okay? People don't realize that. The other thing is that Ukraine has been invaded, you know, divided, uh, cut up, put back together again by everybody from the Lithuanians to the Poles to Hitler's Nazis and now Russia. <clears throat> um, let me mention something that goes back to the Stalin years, um, last mm -hmm. century. Um, in uh, about 1932, Stalin decided to collectivize farming in Ukraine. And uh, all the independent farmers who were called kulaks had to collectivize, but they didn't want to. They, they, they wanted to be their own landowners and, and independent farmers. So what did Stalin do? He unleashed something called the Holodomor. I don't know if people have heard that word before. Holodomor, H-O-L-O-D-O-M-O-R. Holod in Russian and I guess Ukrainian, they're, they're very close, not the same, but close, means cold. Anyway, the winter of 32 to 33, Stalin confiscated all crops, all food, all animals. Everything was stripped out of Ukraine. And the numbers, we don't know for sure because it's so hard to, to count. And, and we had people like Walter Durante, you know, spouting um, Kremlin propaganda as the New York Times um, reporter in Moscow these years. So we didn't get anything true out of them. But five, six million Ukrainians starved to death. Just that winter alone and the effects I mean, continued even further on into 33 and onwards. So put that as the basis. Less than a decade later, Hitler's Nazis begin invading Europe. They invaded Ukraine. What do you think the Ukrainians did? The Ukrainians said, save us, save us, save us from Stalin. Stalin just murdered five to six million of us. Nazis, save us. That's why the Ukrainians had affiliation or sympathy or association with the Nazis. Yes, there was anti-Semitism then, there's anti-Semitism now. Zelensky, by the way, is an ethnic Jew. Maybe not wholly observant, but, right. but he, is, he is ethnically Jewish. One more point about this, and then I'll go to Putin. Um, the word Ukraine, I was talking about the language before. Uh, Ukraine in both Ukrainian and Russian. And again, they're close, but they're not the same. They're distinct languages, but they're both Slavic family. Ukraine is two words. U, Kraina. U means at. Kraina means something like the farthest outpost, the farthest border. Mm -hmm. Of what? Of the Russian Empire. The name of the country is the farthest outpost of Russia. Okay, that's their name. They're, they're kind of stuck with it, but that's their, the name of the country. And that's how Russians and that's how Putin think of them to this day. While Ukrainians, uh, you know, no Jeffersonian Democrats have moved away from that. The Ukrainians, and I wrote an article about this um, back in, I don't know, maybe it was February or March of this year. Um, I forget where I published it, maybe American Greatness. Uh, and it, it was about, about uh, you know, the why of, of, of Ukraine and, and, and Russia and Putin's invasion. And what happened is that Ukraine wanted to break away from Russia. They wanted to look westward. They're not doing very well at it. They're corrupt to the core. But who are we to talk? I mean, he who live in glass house, maybe no throw so many stones. Huh? Right. But they wanted to, to look westward. They, they wanted to embrace ideals, these are aspirational ideals of individual liberty, um, government by consent of the governed, <clears throat> equality of all before the law, before rule of constitutional law. These are things they aspire to. Are they there yet? No, nowhere near. But that's where they're looking. So they're looking west. They're not looking east where they were, where they began. So this now to Putin, to Russia. Putin, um, is a Christian. 
He's an Orthodox Christian, uh, baptized apparently by his mother. Um, but don't think about Russian Orthodox Christianity the way you think about those nice, uh, I don't know, Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians down the street. They're not the same. For Russians, Orthodox Christianity is something of the blood and the soil. It's Chekhov and Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. It, it's not, it's not sort of, I, I don't know, um, the, the kind of Christianity that, that we have in America. So it's, just it's guttural and se intense. separated. It's of the blood and the soul, the soul and the soil. Well, that's the kind of Orthodox Christian that, that Putin is. But then overlay that with his full career at the KGB. And uh, he has said that the worst catastrophe of his life was the breakup of the Soviet Union back in 1991. And I would suggest to you that yes, the USSR broke up geographically into its uh, component republics, but the KGB and communism never skipped a beat, never skipped a beat, and that's Putin. So Putin comes to power, and now it's about 20 years ago, something like that. And he's been in power all this time. And he's chafing, and he's, he, he, he's, he's, he's upset at the loss of status as he sees it for Russia in the world, especially post-Cold War years, when, when the world becomes basically unipolar. I mean, not quite Francis Fukuyama's end of history, but we, the United States, were the unipolar power of the world. Just no getting around it. Yes, the Russians have nukes, but not a whole lot else. They've got oil, gas, some minerals, um, and they make some weapons and export weapons. That, that's kind of it. So even though Putin wanted and aspired to make Russia again, mother Russia, you know, the, 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 the Russian empire, of Peter the Great and Catherine the Great and all the czars. And he kind of pictures himself, I think, uh, as his namesake, Vladimir of Rus, who ruled in the year 988 CE. And in that year, Vladimir of Rus converted to Christianity, I guess apparently on his deathbed. And the whole Ukrainian people then went along with it. That's how they did things in those days. And um, Vladimir of Rus, though, you know, he, 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 he was an Orthodox Christian of the blood and soil kind, of the empire building kind. Um, and that's who Putin sees himself in the mold of. He sees himself like that, and he wants to be like that, and he wants to bring Russian empire back. He's the globalist. He and she are the ones who want to build a, a globalist empire. I mean, China, you can argue, I, I would say China already is an empire. Right. Comprised of Mongols and Manchus and Tibetans and everybody else they conquered. And Russia is an empire as well. Of I don't know how many ethnic groups, many, many. But it, Putin wanted to bring all that back. But he doesn't have the means to do it. He doesn't have the economy, which is really going down the tubes now. Never mind the ruble. Don't look at the ruble. Yes, it's at, at a very high level, but don't look at that. Look at look at look at the internal <clears throat> dynamics of, 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 of the economy and the, the ultimately long-term damage the sanctions will do, um, the diplomatic damage of making Russia a, 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 an utter pariah in the entire world. Putin himself, a war criminal, brought up on war crime tr um, tribunal charges at the International Court at The Hague in the Netherlands. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so he, he aspires to that which he does not have the capability to achieve. He wants to reassemble the Russian Empire. And Ukraine is an inseparable part of that in his in his mind, and maybe for many Russians too. I don't know. That so makes perfect sense. he sees his opportunity as pile of spaghetti moves into the uh, the White House, and goes for it. He goes for it, and many people, including what I think are pretty astute observers, like General Jack Keane at the Institute for the Study of War. Uh, Kash Patel used to work with Devin Nunes at the uh, HIPSI in Congress. Um, very astute um, analyst, observer, Andrei Ilarionov, uh, who formerly was a close economic advisor to Putin, then spent a bunch of years at the Cato Institute here in D.C. 
um, <clears throat> and more recently now is with the Center for Security Policy. But all of those and others looked at all of these negatives that, that, that Putin doesn't have the wherewithal to achieve what he wants to achieve, thought that that would be um, a material uh, break on, on, his, on his behavior, that that would hold him back because he can't, he can't do it. Um, but then he, he tried anyway. And, and we've seen the results, which are catastrophic for the Ukrainian people. Um, we see their, you know, very silly actor of a president, um, Zelensky, yes. He, he had some really cringeworthy videos out there. I think we've all seen them. But did he rise to the occasion or not? He's not wearing red high heels now. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's in a green camo shirt and um, he's leading his people in a way that, that is just absolutely inspiring to the entire world. Putin didn't count on that. Putin thought it was going to be a quick blitz, you know, into the capital, Kiev, take it, decapitate the government, put in a puppet ruler and uh, on to the rest of the country. Didn't turn out that way. They turned him back from Kiev. They've turned him back from Kharkiv. Now he's fighting for the Donbass and, as we talked about before, the South. So those are the motivations I see for Putin. He wants what he cannot achieve. He wants to bring Russia back to great power status. And aside from the nukes, they just aren't. Wow, that's that's uh, amazing. Many things I didn't know. Listen, uh, we could go on. I mean, we've already gone over an hour. I'm going to have to oh, have I'm you sorry. back. No, 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 not at all. I could, I could just do it. Parting comments here, and 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 I want to schedule you back because there's so much more we have to talk about. Okay. But where do you think we are right now, and will we pull this out, getting through this mess of a malorder, mal malorder maladministration we have? What does your gut and your experience tell you? Yeah, we're we're in a mess right now, but absolutely yes, we're Americans. We're going to pull out of this. Um, I, I talk all over the country, whether it may be by web or maybe sometimes in person too. And I'll tell you what, um, number one, thanks to you and testimony from people like you uh, in, gover uh, in, in, in uh, state legislatures and, and other places, videos and so forth, the American people are so much more aware uh, of, of the shenanigans that went on in 2020 than they ever were back then. They're right. not letting that happen again. Look at all the different new laws that have been passed in how many different state legislatures, things banning, um, you know, mail-in drop boxes, banning uh, or demanding, demanding voter ID, um, you know, uh, no same-day registration, simple things even like that. But And then you look at a, at a fabulous movie that we saw at, uh, at Rock the Red, or I, I don't know if you watched it, but I did, yeah, yeah. one of those nights. Um, uh, 2,000 Mules, right. Dinesh D'Souza's right. fantastic uh, movie. We're waiting for the sequel um, to come out and uh, give us even more. But thanks to all of that and more, people are aware in a way they were not aware uh, back then about voter, uh, shall we call them irregularities? Huh? The other thing that people are aware of, and, and this gets to the lockdown, we'll have to talk about China and the virus another time, but because of that lockdown with parents stuck at home, kids stuck at home, doing distance learning on a laptop on the kitchen table, parents stuck at home looking over their shoulder for the very first time, if there's ever a tiny silver lining, this is it, and got to see what was on those screens. What was really was, going what on. What was being taught to those kids. And they saw critical race theory. They, they saw ethnic studies. They saw things that left them horrified and furious. And what did they do? First of all, they started going to the school board meetings, maybe virtually first, then later in person when they were able to, by the hundreds, tossing some of them out on their ears, even in San Francisco. Right. So these are these are positive things that I'm seeing all over the country. Um, so yeah, we we will we will take this back, but we're going to have to work hard at it. A lot of people are signing up for things like being um, poll watchers and election officials, getting trained, um, <clears throat> all these kinds of things, actually running for office themselves. And, and I'll emphasize that the, the thing that I think is the most important here is this is about the local level, where it's, where it's the most important. I'm not giving up on Congress exactly, 
Um, there's still a few good people there. I mean, you know, I got five fingers on this hand. Right. Um, but the local levels where it really matters. And I mean, school board, I mean, city council, I mean, library board, good grief. Library board is where they bring in those hairy creatures to do, what do they call them? Story, story, story drag, drag, read, story. drag, drag, okay. show, That's reading, whatever board, it is. Okay. That's right. school board. That's very local county level, even lower down district precinct level. Um, this is where I see Americans getting involved now where they were not maybe before they didn't, they didn't realize they didn't think it mattered. Maybe they didn't see a place for themselves and now they do. So ending on a positive note, I, that's what I see happening across the country. Fantastic. I really just want to say thank you very much for joining us. People are raving. We're going to have you back very, very soon. There's so many things we need to talk to. People need to hear you and get this great education from you. I just want to say thank you so, so very much for Thanks joining Thanks for having me and everybody who listened in. Wonderful. Take care. Good night. You too. Thank so you. So folks, there you go. Um, look, you're talking somebody that knows her stuff. There is a big difference in this world when you're dealing with the people that really do it and really know it. And you can tell she knows it like the back of her hand. Now, there were some things in there when I asked about Putin and Zelensky and other things that kind of shocked me. Doesn't mean I 100% agree, but I do understand her background, the way she's looking at it. She made some very, very good points. This is what we have to do. We have to get involved. I know many of you will say, well, she's CIA or ex-CIA and don't trust her, whatever. There is something, hang on. <laughs> you know what happened? Just what? My, my studio went down. Hang on. Y'all quit messing with my studio. Hold on. Three, two, one. Come on. Kick on. Isn't that nuts? My studio went down. Um, there is something to learn from everybody, right or left, indifferent or hardcore, there is always something to be taken from everyone. I could sit down and listen to a communist explain why they think we need to be communists, because there is something to learn. And at worst case, you learn how they're thinking. And if you can understand how they're thinking, then you have a way to maybe find common ground or deal with them. I did not know the last frontier standpoint on Russia. It may, and now it makes perfect sense for me. I too think Zelensky and those guys were installed, right? Period. I'm still worried about them. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There was great truth there. There's something to learn from uh, all of it. We've got something to learn and we cannot stop learning. This is the deal. We can't talk in vacuums. And that's why I knew you would literally love what she has to say. I, I love, she is such a great woman, truly, right? And many of you will say it's self-taint because it's CIA. That's okay. I would tell you such a great woman. We didn't even get, we did not even get to the point, which we're going to have to talk to next. But one of the things I want to get to is she is the one. She is the one that blew the whistle on Obama recruiting from the Muslim Brotherhood. Now that should tell you a lot about that woman's character. She is the one that blew that whistle and blew that wide open because she says he's destroying America and here's how it happened. I'm, I'm so sorry. There was so much to learn. It went by just boom too quick, uh, but I'll have her back. Uh, I promise you we'll do another show. Number one, I did do uh, one half of the special uh, that I promised on locals got it done. There's still more. I'm down to maybe the last 800 words of this report <laughs> and it just has to be done right but i'm down to those 800 words i may get it out this evening post it but i will try to do another special for you tomorrow on locals tomorrow evening 
some of the people that are the ones that blew the whistle on the ballot mules. The ones that outed it to Burnabich will be joining us on our program. And you're going to hear firsthand how long this has been going on. And you're going to hear directly from the inside of the belly of the beast how long it's been going on, what's been going on, etc. Not slipped up hearing right from the people that are fighting for their community. Right? Fighting for their community. Uh, and we're the first ones to really expose this ballot trafficking before True the Vote got involved. You're going to hear from them directly. That's my show tomorrow evening. Folks, I appreciate you joining me here this evening. Thank you so very much. Uh, make it a great evening. And I'm going to bring Claire back. There's a lot to learn. Uh, we have some really exciting guests coming up. Um, and when I do this, commercial free, we'll just let it go because it's more important about you getting the knowledge base these people can share. I love you all. Y'all take care. Bye-bye. Most people are afraid to stand up and speak out, but not you. You've been learning how to tell the system to cut the crap. What can I do to help save the America I love? And the answer is, learn how to fight back and tell the system to cut the crap. Cut the crap's not just a radio program, it's a movement. The right kind of movement, which breaks free the conservative constipation and reminds you that you are the majority. And we're just not going to take it anymore. Make sure you're following Joe Bon Hunt and Pulitzer on all social media. See you next week. And between now and then, take a stand and tell them all to cut the crap. Hey there. Think of all those people who mocked you for being a conspiracy theorist. Are you ready to become the smartest patriot in the room? Well, now's your chance to join me on Local. It's exclusive. It's a free trial membership where you can use to determine if my work my insight, my content, and what I do to educate you to fight this fight for our country is worth it. And this is a whopping $4.16 decision, since that's what the membership is with an annual subscription. Now, you have to decide if $4.16 a month is worth becoming the smartest patriot in the room. So are you willing to spend $4.16 to gain the knowledge and insight it takes to make sure your country and our way of life survives is four dollars and 16 cents even worth being able to prove to your family friends and co-workers that you're not some whacked conspiracy theorist is four dollars and 16 cents worth spending on your education to fight this fight but to also know you can do it where you can share the truth and talk about the truth so help us god and not get banned if you are ready to become a fact-slinging, ass-kicking warrior of truth who fights for the survival of this country, then I invite you to take me up on this offer and determine... But you know what? If we lost the election, we know when we lose. If I lost the election, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. Seriously. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we got to get those routers, please. Get up. Routers. Come on, Kelly, we can get those routers. Those routers. Wow. If you got those routers, what that will show. And they don't want to give up the routers. They are fighting like hell. Why are these commissioners fighting not to give the routers? How simple could it be? That will tell the truth. And they don't want to give up the routers. What are they trying to hide? And I say it, and I'll say it, because the easiest way of cheating is to throw them away. That's easier. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. It's so unfair. It's so unfair, it's so ridiculous. I, I'll be honest though, look, we all like to win. If I lost this election, I could handle it pretty easily. What? Running 24, sir, you're gonna win. And I say, wait a minute, I just won six months ago. The big lie, they call it. Those trends are unproven. And knowing what happened in the election is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. 
The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. If you think about cancel, everything about cancel culture, they want cancel culture. But what they don't want to do is anything having to do with the 2020 election. We have no press. We have no voice. They almost got away with it. They may have gotten away with it. And I've got to tell you, I've got to say this. I've never said it before, but I've always thought it. I get along with Putin because that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we got to get those routers, please. Get up! Get up! Now listen, if you 